meditation we are parenting for liberation it's a new generation we got dedication we're parenting for liberation oh our kids will be proud proud to be black they got Hello, this is Trina with Parenting for Liberation. I'm here with Malisha Taylor, who is the founder and director of Muse Salon. Um, we met at a Brioxi event, which is for um, entrepreneurs of color. Um, we met in Los Angeles um, at the California Endowment, and we had a quick exchange of business cards and connections, and we realized that we were both based in Southern California. Malisha is in San Diego and I'm in Orange County and we're not that far away and so we said that we would connect so excited to connect with Malisha and hear more about the work that um, she is doing in, in Southern California and San Diego and also to hear more about how she's doing that work simultaneously as being a parent um, raising black children so welcome to the podcast Malisha. Hi thank you for having me. Thanks for joining I this is like our first time kind of getting to know each other in depth so you know, it's happening live recording, but we're going to be, try to be as authentic and be ourselves as possible um, for the sake of parenting for liberation. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself, like your parenting identity and the work that you're doing in um, San Diego. Um, yes. Yeah, so I live in San Diego, California, and um been living here for about five years. I moved here from Brooklyn, New York. And um, I think that's, Brooklyn was very um, important. It was an important time in my life to be in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, and that uh, it was a really um, life-changing experience being there and um, developing my identity as a black woman. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in Los Angeles County in the suburbs. So kind of near you, I, I used to go to Knott's Berry Farm as a kid. Um, <laughs> right on my back you know, window. <laughs> right. So I know that area really well. Um, and just growing up in Southern California suburbs, um, people are really kind of homogenous. We don't really have an idea of a black community here, especially black liberation. Um, most black families in Southern California kind of conform to a kind of like basic lifestyle, going to church, playing soccer, you know, regular public schools. Um, you know, commercial and materialistic. And I felt that growing up, I did feel like I didn't really have a sense of culture. Um, so when I went to Brooklyn, I really kind of got um, to a place where I could wear my natural hair and like explore the different shapes that I could make my hair go. And, um, you know, I really, it was, it was like, it's a fuller diaspora of black people there. So there's Africans, Caribbeans, um, deep south, you know, the migration from the south, black people from the south. So um, I really got to see like the beauty of our people there and seeing mm -hmm. a shine in, in success and owning our own businesses and talking to each other and being happy to see each other in the neighborhood and waving and mm -hmm. all of my landlords were, um, were black. So it's like black people owning property. I'm paying rent to, you know, people that look like me and I'm walking down the street to people who know my name. 
it was just totally different from how mm-hmm. I grew up. Yes. I mean, I visit New York quite a bit through work and like a lot of the folks that I've connected with live in Brooklyn. So shout out to all my Brooklyn folks. Um, and the way that you're describing Brooklyn is my experience just by visiting over a weekend or going to a meeting and like staying in an Airbnb in Brooklyn. Um, the dynamic that you describe is like the richness of culture, the richness of the African diaspora that exists in New York City and Brooklyn and other places in New York um, is so powerful and magical. Like you could feel it. I was walking down the street with someone and everybody knew who they were and people would be like, hey, is that you? And I was like, what is this like small community feel in a huge city? You know, like it's a big New York is a huge city, you know, all the boroughs. But you could still have that, you know, that small community feel like neighborhood vibe. Um, And it feels like something that I long for being born and raised in Los Angeles. I wasn't raised in the suburbs. I was born and raised in um, Watts and Compton. So our family was in between Watts and Compton. And so like we had the community vibe because all of my cousins, right? Like I had, um, I have, no past tense. I have... um, the last time I was counting like 75 plus first cousins. And so we all used to like, we were our own community, like our own village, just all of us at our grandparents' house in Compton. And so I got that growing up um, just with family, but now with other folks, right? Like I was not right. walking down the street where everybody knew my name. It was like, oh no, hurry up and get in the house um, right. and connect with family. And so that is something that I long for. And, and now that I've moved to the suburbs, you know, as an adult, a lot of my family has shifted from Com- Compton into the suburbs um, and the way that you describe that, right? Like we're such a um, commuter city that like everybody's in their car. Like there is no walking down the street and everybody knows your name. You like get out your house, go out the front door, get into your car. Sometimes you get into your car in your garage and then you like drive away. And so there is no yeah. really like getting to know your neighbors um, and your neighbors don't look like you, at least in my experience, like they don't look like me. So um, right. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's completely different. And I like long for that. And so I'm like trying to figure out like, how do we build that type of community in places like Southern California in places like Orange County and places like San Diego. So I know there are some black folks here, like our percentage of population is really low, right. but we're here and it's like, how do we connect? And so Parents of Liberation is like a chance, uh, is trying, what I'm trying to do is create a sense of community with other black parents. And interestingly most of the folks that i've connected with over the podcast or through connection is virtual and like they're not even in southern california like you're the one of two people three people that i've connected with who are in southern california um i know so it's just hard (laughs) i understand i understand i mean even here in san diego like you said so there's eight percent black people in san diego which is small and maybe substantial um, in a way, because that means the Black people that are here, we know each other. So because we're such a small community. Um, and like, I can count maybe, I, I recently have discovered other families that I feel like share my similar values that I do um, seek out and make time to hang out with. And so what you do is you just have to identify like individuals and slowly more individuals know other individuals. And then you kind of create your village of like 10 to 15 folks that you know you're going to do Kwanzaa with every year or like 
you know that you can call them for babysitting or like you do a little book club uh, or you, you try to create some kind of network, some kind of um, village that you're working with. So I do feel like I finally got that going in the last year. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about that. I'm actually physically right now at a spot that's really inspired me to do that. It's called Pillars of the Community. So I'm giving a shout out. Shout out. Um, Pillars. <laughs> Pillars um, works with um, the incarcerated or recently incarcerated. Um, they do most of the important justice work in San Diego um, mm -hmm. and activist work. Um, they're on the front lines. They they go to court hearings. They petition. Um, they you know all the major activists of the area come through here and get support here. Um, and then they get folks to vote. We do a lot of civic engagement um, in the states. And um, and it's and it's really centered around a Black liberation um, identity, and and we're all kind of aware of it, or at least looking to practice it in our lives. So um, I'm really grateful to be here and to be working with um, these folks because that's how I stay grounded and connected. Um, so yeah, and most of us, a lot of us have kids. Another place um, where I get a lot of my, my village connection is in our Capoeira studio um, mm. in, in Southeastern mm. San Diego. So I really love Capoeira. I encourage other parents to look into Capoeira. Um, it's one of the few arts that's still around that's kind of accessible in most regions mm -hmm. that is African-centered. And um, so I, I love that it teaches language. So um, the kids, and myself are learning the Portuguese, the Brazilian language um, through the singing and the chanting. Um, and then you're also learning, um, obviously, like a, uh, it's, it's rebellion. It's the revolt. That's how the slaves um, were able to, to fight and fight back against um, colonization, um, like in Bahia area of Brazil. So... Um, and also um, there's Angola, Capoeira, but either way, I think it's really good for my kids are toddlers. Um, it's really good for, I think, kids like just starting in the world between zero and five to get that early African-centered art or get like early African-centered literature in their lives um, so that they have a reference to Africa as an identity. Um, before they go into public school and go into kindergarten and start learning something else about themselves, mm -hmm. you know, um, is to just, yeah. So through my Capoeira um, family and through pillars of the community, um, I've been able to, to build a village of friends um, that I really appreciate and I'm blessed to have. So yeah, I got to find that yeah. in Orange County. And if it doesn't exist, I guess I'm getting on the, train to san diego <laughs> to come join the community it's a good hour it and a half a minute, <laughs> it took me a minute of visioning and manifesting so i think um like you're in buena park it's not completely void of culture it's not completely detached from like you do have la you mm -hmm. do have long beach I have long beach you do have anaheim um Santa Ana. let's see what else you yeah, you've got yeah, you've got cultural centers um, where you can start. Like what what happened for me too, because San Diego is really, really, really um, conservative. 
I don't know if you know that, but it's like mm-hmm. one of the most conservative parts of Southern California. Mm-hmm. So you would think it was impossible to find like an African-centered education program. But we even have, there's also um, Beta Salam. Um, shout out to Beta Salam. There's also this um, freedom school that we, we have here. It's a small private school that is African-centered. And, um, and they operate kind of similarly through the same village of, of folks. And um, we have some elders in the community that are well-known that have stayed around, and, um, and we're appreciative um, of them as well. But yeah, I kind of had to manifest it. It didn't come very quick. I think I was in San Diego four years before I even found um, this village. So um, mm, thank you. And it took, sounds like some, yeah, it's nice to do around manifesting too. Yeah, visioning and manifesting, like imagining what you want in the village and and in your home, and like what kind of home do I want to create? What kind of relationships do I want? And um, and then I think I just probably started looking for African-centered stuff and Googling, you know, and just mm-hmm. like asking people and finding Facebook groups and then networking with other people, you know, online. And then I kind of ended up here. So nice. So, yeah, I'm grateful. Yeah. And I think something that Brioxi taught me was... Um, if it doesn't exist after all the researching, then like, what is my role um, as a, you know, an entrepreneur of color or a social entrepreneur to help build um, what doesn't exist? So, right. So I'm going to, I'm thinking about that. I'll manifest on that as well. Um, right. But tell me more about like the work that you're doing. So you talked about Capoeira and other kind of arts-based work. And I know that you're um, an entrepreneur who does work around arts. And so I wanted to kind of invite you to talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing in San Diego. Yes. So um, there are a couple of things. One, I am a singer. So I sing uh, professionally. I sing with the San Diego Opera. Um, and I sing uh, sometimes with um, jazz ensembles or um or like world music bands on occasion. Um, and then I sing in, in LA, I'm from LA, so I have, uh, I have done a lot of gigs up in LA as well. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one aspect of my artistic practice. And then I'm also, um, I have an arts, um, arts organization called New Salon Collaborative. And I formed this collaborative because I found that a lot of artists needed support with, um, you know, how to get grant funding, how to find resources, how to find space to do art, um, how to get support for projects and ideas, how to be an entrepreneur, because a, a lot of times artists don't realize that it's a business. Doing art is oftentimes a business. Because um, uh, if it's not a business, it's a hobby, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are in the art practice, in order for it to not be a hobby, but it's a profession, you have to have some business savvy. You have to know, um, you have to have some civic engagement. You have to be involved in the community and like know who your your officials are, your city officials. You have to know about funding in the city. You have to know about the arts commission. Um, you have to know when grants come out, like when the grant cycles are. 
So I formed my collaborative to be a resource to other artists trying to get that stuff together. Um, and I've recently got more centered around artists of color because what I found is I would go to like, for example, to the arts commission meeting mm -hmm. and I would find that like, I'm the only person of color in the room. Right. And why is that? Like, where are we? Where are the artists of color that are able, able to thrive and do murals in the city or do concerts of our own where we're actually compensated, you know? Right. Um, and, and it's not just that church, right? Or it's not just that a school picnic, but like where are the professional artists of color and how come we don't have access to these resources? So and not only my for cultural events only, like not only for Black History Month or Indigenous Right. Right. Like not to be also pigeonholed to only do particular right. events, you know? Exactly. And that, and that happens a lot. And we kind of get boxed into um, these compartments where we're actually uh, missing out on opportunities. We're missing out on the fact that we could be funded for an entire year to do projects. Um, we could even be on a board or we could be on an arts commission. Um, we could, we could have our own companies. We could have our own art galleries. So, um, so my focus recently has been more about building up other artists like myself to be able to, um, you know, financially sustain themselves, um, and and also especially artists with families. You know, mm -hmm. you don't want to feel like because you have a kid, you have to give up your craft or your your talent, you know, to pay the bills and get a day job. Um, and that's like a whole other area, you know, is showing your kids who you truly are. If you're an artist, you want your kids to see your talent and know that, that their parent is talented and that they can also aspire to that, that same lifestyle and talent as well. So um, that's how I started my organization. Wow, that's really helpful. Thank you for the work that you're doing to help support other artists um, and folks who are utilizing artistic crafts to think about the ways to sustain themselves. I mean, as I hear you name this stuff, I don't see myself as an artist, but when I think about the things and the different questions and the different bodies and local government and local systems that like um, one has to be aware of, I feel like as a parent, like that's the important information to have as well. Not, not maybe so geared towards the art realm, but just like knowing who the school superintendent is, knowing who's on the school board, knowing what decisions they make, knowing when they vote, like right. those are the kinds of things that we also need to know um, and be aware of as we're like thinking about how different institutions impact our children's lives. And so I feel like, again, thanks for sharing that insight and like I need to get more um, information and do some more researching and getting clarity around the different institutions and how they show up in, in our community and how they impact our families and our children and public school and, you know, access to resources and um, the work that I'm trying to do, like, also like needing to know some of that same information around how to build up a project, whether it be a grant funded project or um, a government funded project, but how to like actually access the resources that actually will help to build the community that I want to build for my children and other children of color here in places where they're not seen. Or right. they're not, yeah, they're not the like majority. Right. Yes. And um, that's really, really important. I mean, uh, when I was growing up, I was always 
almost always the only black kid in every environment. Um, so that included church, that included school. Um, my parents kind of raised me to, you know, my black friends were like a certain cool event, like Thanksgiving, like my family. If we have family outings, I'm, I'm definitely with, you know, my family. But like, we didn't go out of our way when I was growing up, my family didn't go out of their way to make sure I had black friends, you know? And I don't think that's like, I don't blame them. Like, I'm not like super bitter about it, but I do feel like that's very important to me as a parent is to make sure that my kids have some comfort in life. It's like, I just felt a lot of discomfort, psychological discomfort. Like when I reflect on it, like I always knew that I was different and that, I almost had to explain myself in every environment, like everywhere I went. It's like, oh, Malisha, you have different hair today. What's up with that? Oh, Malisha, you know, your braids, you got long hair this week, but last week you had a ponytail. What's up with that? Or like, you know, when it's time for a school dance, I've got to like hope some white guy's going to invite me, you know, (laughs) like, am I going to get asked out by these other kids or like, am I going to be the girl that's not desirable, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I was little, I always felt kind of different and undesirable or like the least in the, in the room. And so I think it's important that my kids have some relief and not have to experience that all the time, like have some spaces if I can create them where they are bonding and building relationships with other black kids and other black um, leaders and elders and aunties and uncles and, um, and just feeling that village that they always have a village to, um, to identify with and to fall back on, you know? Yeah, no, that's really important and helpful. Um, and thanks for sharing, like, how you're doing that in, in Orange County. I mean, I'm in Orange County. Thanks for sharing how you're doing that in San Diego. And I am going to work on figuring that out in um, in Orange County because I feel like that is a key part. Um, how do you blend um, the work that you do around art and artistic expression and, like, cultivating cultural pride and awareness of self in your children? And I forgot we didn't talk about your children. Like, how old are they? And you know, a little bit yes. if you want. Yes. So I have three kids. Um, they are toddlers. So I've been in toddler land for the past five years. Um, my twin, I, um, my first pregnancy was a set of twins. Wow. So um, boy, girl, boy, girl, um, twins. Um, and they are five now. And then I have a son who is two. And, um, Let's see. How do, what, what was your question? You said, how do I um, cultural pride and like through your art mingling? Yeah, the work that you do around your your artistic expression. I'm I'm like I'm making assumptions about the way that you blend those together, and we want to be more uh, curious in hearing how you um, feel like your your professional work is also related to your parenting work, right? Because they're both work. <laughs> For sure. Yes. So I, I do, since I do sing at the opera, which is kind of like a, another phenomenon, um, cause that's a very white space for me. Um, but yes, I tell my kids I'm going to the opera. I show them pictures of me at the opera. I show them my costume. 
Um, I hope one day to be able to bring them to the theater and see what it's like. Right now, they're too young um, to enter the building. Uh, I think there's an age cap or an age um, requirement for operas and symphonies. I think you have to be above six or seven to oh. sit in the audience. Um, but I do intend for them to have the exposure of the fine arts. Um, although I am working on like decolonizing the arts, that's another area that yeah. I'm working in. Yeah. Because um, when I think of the opera, I... you know, I have a hella, <laughs> I have a hella like white <laughs> vision, and I'm like, yes to this black woman singing right. an opera, like <laughs> hell yes. And I know that there are black folks and folks of color who are in the opera, and it's like one in how many right like it's my assumption so I would love for you to tell me a little bit about that world and like how you know how how do you not feel like the only in that world um as you felt like growing up as a as a young a young person in Southern California yes um so what's interesting is I realized I was the only pretty late even though I knew I was the only subconsciously um, I don't even know if you get that, but like, mm, like, we, like, you know, mm. it's like, you know, yeah. so you never say it out loud, but you just know, kind of. Yeah. It's like the under knowing it's like Southern California. Like you always feel like the one half the time, right? You always feel like there's yeah. not enough black people. So unless then when I go to the like opera, South Central, right. Unless you're in Inglewood or certain types of, you know, of like um, South hubs. LA. Yeah, the hubs of South LA or Compton, Watts, or like, Crenshaw, Lamar yeah. area. Like, unless you're in a Lamar. hub, you're like right. alone. You're alone, right? And so I was not even in the city of LA. I was way out in the, in the Inland Empire, which some may know. Oh, um, I know. Yeah, a, alone. So that's where I really, really am from. I try not to even mention it, but I'm from the IE. So, represent. so the IE, <laughs> I guess I'll represent IE. IE is trying to come up right now. I heard people like shouting out to the IE lately. So, yeah. hey, it's, but, a um, it's a thing. It's becoming a thing. Cool. Uh, so I'm from the IE. We're pretty diverse. There are some brown people. We're out there. There's black people. Um, but we, at least from my experience, I was trying to blend in. I wasn't trying to stick out. So my blackness was very mm. subdued and not really necessary. Um, and I wasn't really trying to, yeah, I was trying to fit in, you know. So being in the theater opera world in high school, I knew I was the only black kid. And I knew that it was a predominantly white space. But it wasn't, it wasn't like deeply affecting me. It wasn't like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here, you know, because my whole day was that way anyway. You right, know, just like walking out like, you're being in community. You're like, this is the norm. Right. It's the norm. It was normal in both spaces. Now that I've been to Brooklyn and been like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, this is what black community feels like. Right. And then now being in San Diego, right? This is what a real black village feels like, right? And then coming to San Diego, I'm like, wait, I need to keep that feeling. I need that feeling. I need that as a part of me. Mm. Um, it's a part of what keeps me stable and whole. Mm. And now I'm working with Arts for a Changing America and some other campaigns on decolonizing the arts. 
mm-hmm. and pushing for racial justice and representation in the arts. So um, I did submit like a letter of intent and I'm looking into grants because there are a lot of um, conferences coming up on this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's becoming a thing because they're saying in 2020 will be the new majority. People of color will be the new majority. So they're trying to, you know, reform the educational system and be more inclusive um, in the narrative. They're trying to finally include black operas. There are black operas that are written. Um, that's one project I, I did this August. I did a set of Langston Hughes songs set to classical music mm. by an by an Afro-Scottish composer um, who has pretty much been in America the majority of his life, but he grew up in Scotland. He's Jamaican-Scottish-American. <laughs> Shout out it, to it, Jamaica. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Caribbean-Scottish, you know, Caribbean-British, um, but but is practicing his art form. He's a composer here in the States. So I sought him out. He's at San Diego, um, City, uh, San Diego State University. I reached out to him and was like, you're a black composer. I'm a black opera singer. I'm singing your stuff. I want to put your stuff out there. Hmm. I, want, I want kids, I want my kids to know that there is a black opera. So this guy wrote an opera on um, the life of Paul Dunbar, who um, who is a famous writer um, back in the day that many of us may or may not know about. And it's hard for him to get his opera done. San Diego alone. He's at this university. They're not funding his opera. Mm. They're not they're not providing him, you know, um, the orchestra to orchestrate and play his music. Right. So um, for this opera, he's having to drive actually up to Irvine um, to get this production done. He's everything's happening for him in LA. Wow! So yeah. um, so I did a recital of his music here in San Diego, and I entitled it "I Too Sing America" after one of the um, poems by Langston Hughes. Mm. And um, Afterwards, we talked to the audience and just exposed them. Like, did you know that there are classical black composers, that there are classical black opera singers, and that we live in your community? And they were just shocked. Like, they just couldn't believe right. that, that we exist. And so now I'm working on getting more of our work out and um, writing some grants and looking into speaking engagements where I can talk more on this topic. Nice. And what was the name of the campaign that you were part of? So there's the Arts for a Changing America. They have a website, um, artsforchangingamerica.org. And um, they interview, I did speak on one of their panels in San Francisco at the Yerba Buena Arts Center. And um, there's a recording of it on YouTube. And there's also an article that um, they interviewed me for. So that's, those are both on the website. Cool. I will it's, check it uh, out and I'll link to it. This is really exciting. I'm so glad that you're doing that work because so much about like defining culture and um, is through the arts, right? And when I think about young folks like knowing who they are and seeing themselves reflected back in multiple mediums, um, it's through 
the work of folks like you who are pushing the narrative, expanding the narrative, um, shifting the center from white dominant culture to expanding it to include, you know, um, all communities of color and multiple like forms of representation, not only a particular type of music or medium, but like expanded into places like the opera, right, or classical, like things that right. aren't necessarily associated, but are often considered like high culture, right? And so just yeah. you like making that shift and push and like the benefit that it will have to the art world, but also to our children to be able to see themselves in this yes. different capacity. Yes, it's huge. I mean, if you could open a history book on classical music, like even just the thought of classical music, if you could see a black man as a composer and not just see Bach, Beethoven, Mozart in your, in your mind's eye, you know what I mean? Because it's the same, it's, it's all this like Eurocentric, Germanic kind of ideas of who's a genius. You know, we have Einstein, we have Bach and Beethoven, but we can't possibly have this black guy, right? Like, he can't be up there. Why not? Why not? Like, why can't we have a black woman, right? Or, or just any identity other than these white males. Like, right. why? You know? So, so yeah, so I'm using my little section of family members to do this work. And, um, and yeah, and I'm excited about it. Well, I can't so. wait to see it. And when you do another show in Southern California, I would love to come um, and to be able to bring my children so that they can see themselves in other, in other yes. forms, you know, beyond what we hear on the radio, yes. like on TV. Um, yes. I really appreciate the work that you're doing and the way that you're parenting and building community, a community like an Afrocentric community, even in a place that could potentially feel like barren land, like where there is no folks, like you have figured out a way to cultivate um, relationships mm -hmm. and connections and build community. So it's really inspiring. And I hope to connect with you to figure out like strategies that you used and how it worked um, as I yeah. work to build that up here in Buena Park for not only my kids and my family, but to really build some sense of like collective identity. For sure. Thank you for doing this work. I think it's really, really important. Um, and I know a lot of my friends are looking forward to um, connecting with you as well. So yes. you end up having like 15 interviews after this lined up. <laughs> for the rest of I'll be all coming next down. Year. I can't <laughs> wait to come down, you know, and just like figure out the virtual connection, but just like, what does it mean to be in community with folks? Like, yeah, the longing that I have for that here in Southern California is so deep that like a one and a half yeah. hour train ride to San Diego feels fine. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I hope to connect with you soon. I want to appreciate you for joining us and um, let know, let folks know where they can find you and the work that you're doing and the communities that you shouted out. Yes. So my website for Muse Salon Collaborative is uh, www.musesalon.org. And let's see, I do have a Tumblr with uh, my name, MaliciaJessieTaylor.tumblr.com. Um, what else? Um, I am on YouTube. You can even just Google me. Um, and you'll see all kinds of articles, different blog postings, um, and recordings of me singing. And that's pretty much it as far as finding me. Um, 
And you can always shoot me an email at Malisha, M-A-L-E-S-H-A, at MuseSalon.org. Awesome. I will post this on our website, on our iTunes and SoundCloud accounts, and I will link to the things that I find of you, particularly like your main website and also link to some of the work that you've done recently. Excellent. Thank you so I much for taking that. the time. So, All right. You too. Thanks so much. Take care. Yep.